Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And there's breaking news from Los Angeles. Britney Spears broke down in tears at a hearing today over control of her life and fortune. The pop star, who turns 40 this year, sobbed over the phone, accusing her father of being abusive, adding that she intends to press charges against him. Much of her life has been controlled in recent years by her father and a professional conservator. Spears today was granted permission to hire her own attorney. That's a big change. Hey, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Crime Analyst and the Intelligence Cell. Now, as you know, I've been covering Britney Spears' case as it's been unfolding. And so this special episode was recorded on Wednesday, the 14th of July, to drop on Friday, the 16th of July. So it's a tight turnaround, yes. But today is an important day for Britney Spears as her case is back in court. And I, like many others, have been wondering what's going to happen next. And so here we are. And shortly, I'll be joined by former LA prosecutor and legal analyst Lonnie Coombs, who's at the court and is going to tell us hot off the press exactly what's gone on. Now, like I said, this case is important for everyone, and in particular, all women, which is why I'm covering it. Three weeks ago, Brittany openly testified to the court on June the 23rd. On hearing her testimony, I was alarmed and deeply concerned, and I wanted to talk with Lonnie, who was at the court at the time. And you can hear our analysis and insight discussion in episode 28. You see, for the first time, we heard Brittany's unfiltered voice about what's been going on for the 13 years she's been under this conservatorship. Brittany called the conservatorship abusive, comparing her treatment to sex trafficking and criticising her family and others involved in managing her day-to-day affairs and medical care. She told Judge Brenda Penny that they should all be in jail. And it was horrifying and shocking in equal measure. I mean, it's 2021, not the 1950s. And it's particularly shocking as Bill Cosby was freed the same week on a technicality by five out of six Supreme Court justices in Pennsylvania on the basis of a so-called non-prosecution agreement and immunity agreement that was never written down and that no judge had ever signed off on. And furthermore, the trial judge, Judge O'Neill, 
had also held a special hearing on the matter, and he ruled that this so-called agreement didn't exist. And so the upshot? Cosby is free and Britney is not. How do we even begin to reconcile or understand this? I've been thinking about it a lot, and I'm really angry. Weeks later, my anger has not abated. In fact, it's steadily deepened. The message it sends to women is so deeply alarming and confronting in every way, and I still can't get my head around it. Where I've landed is that what we're witnessing in full view and plain sight with Bill Cosby and Britney Spears is everything that's wrong with the system and society about how men and women are treated. We are treated so differently, and it's so wrong, and it's for everyone to take issue with and become part of the solution. In all cases that I look at and review, I flip the script to see how something lands, and so I keep asking, what's the male equivalent of Britney Spears, and what's the female equivalent of Bill Cosby? And the reality is that there isn't a sex-reversed equivalent, i.e. a female serial rapist like Bill Cosby, or a male equivalent of Britney Spears who's been placed under a conservatorship. But guess what? There are plenty of male equivalents of Cosby, and plenty of female equivalents of Britney. So let's start with Cosby. There are many rich and powerful men who've been getting away with rape and abuse of women and girls for years, decades even, and then other powerful men finding every reason not to prosecute them or to let them out of prison early after the difficult and challenging job of getting them there in the first place. So think about Epstein, R. Kelly, Larry Nasser, Harvey Weinstein, Woody Allen, just for starters. And let's think about Britney, Mark 1, 2 and 3, where you'll find many cases in the family and civil courts all across the world, women made to look like they're crazy. Women who've been framed and discredited. Women who've not been listened to. Women who just want to be good mothers to their children. Women who've been upended by men as they reported them for abuse or have tried to protect their children from abuse or both. Women who've had their agency, their autonomy, self-worth, self-esteem slowly and insidiously eroded away over time by men and then by professionals working in the system the very system charged with protecting the vulnerable. Oh, the irony. You see, the system isn't broken, because that would imply it worked for women in the first place, and it never has. The criminal, civil, family, medical and social systems have been created by men to protect men. Or put another way, they've been designed based on and for men. Let's not forget that. And every day I hear from women who are bereft. They've lost their agency, their autonomy, their self-esteem. But more importantly, they tell me they've lost custody of what mattered most to them, their children. And I'm tired by the same pattern that's on repeat loop. You see, these are not isolated incidents and they're not anomalies. Let me explain further and lay this out in no uncertain terms. Cosby is not innocent. He was not exonerated. More than 60 women came forward to say that he sexually assaulted them. More have never gone public. He even admitted it, and has even joked about it. He talked about it at the deposition in the civil trial. And what's worse, if that's even possible, 
he abused most of the women, if not all, whilst married to his wife, Camille. And after just three years of a three to ten year sentence, Cosby is free to abuse and assault more women. He's been green lit and given the message, you're untouchable, you're above the law. The law doesn't apply to you. Because not only did the judges set him free with immediate effect, they also ruled that there would be no third trial and he would never be prosecuted, which is simply extraordinary. And now Cosby is planning a tour, a new book and a docu-series, which is in the works, and he's reframing this as a miscarriage of justice. His miscarriage of justice. He's saying that he's innocent and that he's the victim. Well, that's absolute poppycock and revisionist history. It's simply not true. Conversely, Brittany, who has harmed no one, is shackled with invisible chains, 13 years on, and forced to work for her father and make money for him and other men. Brittany is unable to choose whether to have another baby, whether to get married, or to go for a drive alone in a car with her partner. Her $60 million estate is managed by her father and others, men who she never agreed could or should manage her affairs. And this is 2021. Britney is a world-famous, uber-successful icon, yet she has no freedom and is treated worse than a criminal. Having been charged with sexual assault, Cosby was able to pick his lawyer. Well, his legal team. You see, at one point, he had seven lawyers, as was his constitutional right, and he has vast amount of money, power, wealth and influence. Yet no charges were laid against Britney, but she too has vast amounts of money, wealth and influence. She appointed her own experienced advocate, Adam Streisand. He went to court on her behalf as her lawyer and Judge Reva Goats decided that Britney wasn't capable of choosing her own lawyer. On what basis? Well, we still don't know. Instead, Britney was given a court-appointed lawyer, Samuel Ingham III, whom Ronan Farrow and Gia Tolentino revealed in their New Yorker investigation was working for Jamie Spears, despite the fact that he was being handsomely paid by Britney. Ronan and Gia reported that Britney covered Ingham's annual salary of $525,000, and Ingham could charge up to $10,000 a week. Yet Britney's own living expenses in 2019 were less than $440,000. And at no point did her court-appointed lawyer advise her that she could ask to end this abusive conservatorship. That's what Britney herself said in her open testimony on June the 23rd. So Britney has been shackled and restricted for 13 years, and Cosby was in prison for three. What choice has Britney had but to play ball with this restrictive and draconian conservatorship for all these years? If she doesn't, she won't be able to see her children, whom she adores. Her biggest fear is weaponized and used against her by those who understand how best to control her and keep her submissive and in domestic servitude. Because that's what really this arrangement has created. A master-servant relationship. And it's court-sanctioned. Jamie Spears knows this fully well, and the whole system has backed him and never questioned whether this was actually ever in Britney's best interests. 
The fact that her mother Lynn thought this was a temporary arrangement speaks volumes too. However, it became permanent very quickly, with no pathway or next steps identified to help Brittany back on track and no end to the conservatorship. This when she was just 26 years old. This was a forever arrangement. And again, I repeat, Brittany was just 26 years old, for goodness sake, and nowhere near the end of life. In fact, she was just starting out. And at the hearing of this conservatorship proposed by Jamie Spears, no questions were asked. No questions. How can that even be possible? And the fact that it was all agreed in around 10 minutes is absolutely mind-blowing to me. I bet Jamie Spears couldn't believe his luck. The perfect storm. Well, in my opinion, it's not even a storm. It's a cacophony of the patriarchy and misogyny where men are believed and trusted over women just because they're a man and because they said so. And taking just 10 minutes to make a decision on his say-so, and yes, on a few others too, but at no point was Brittany interviewed by the court. One of her friends and friends of the family, Jacqueline Butcher, has now gone on record recently and said that she thought it was the right thing to do for Brittany at the time, but that she thought it would be temporary. And she was even more shocked that it was decided in less than 10 minutes. Interestingly, digging into conservatorships a little more, California requires that the conservatees be given five days' notice before a conservatorship takes effect. But this can be bypassed if a judge decides that they could suffer, and I quote, immediate and substantial harm. So Judge Reva Goats appointed Sam Ingham as Britney's advocate and then granted the Conservatives' petition to waive the requirement to notify Britney that any of this was happening. So stripping this down, deciding a woman's life and worth and who should control it, particularly someone as powerful as Britney, came down to just 10 minutes, with no independent legal representation or advocate, creating a prison with no cell, just others who she had made representation that she didn't want involved in the conservatorship, determining the rules by which she would live by. That terrifies the hell out of me. And she's been trapped in it ever since. And yes, in my opinion, this is coercive control, and it's like a form of modern-day slavery, particularly as they made her work. So she's well enough to work, And why would someone who cared for you have you medicated and working on a stage under huge pressure when they're supposed to be caring for you and making decisions in your best interest? But of course, we know why. Because they all cashed in on her and are still doing so. What's the incentive to ever change it when her father, Jamie, and others have full-time employment, which makes them millions? Brittany has been the cash cow for many, with all her family and others on her payroll. In whose mind can this ever make sense and be right? Oh, in the patriarchy, of course. That's right. That's where it makes sense. The very definition of patriarchy is to have power over. And of course, men have been and are, still, sadly, the dominant sex. And those in power strive to retain it at all costs. And those who don't have the power fight to put women where they want us. So let's just rewind for a moment. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Brittany had her second child, Jaden James, in September 2006, and she filed for divorce from Kevin Federline in November. Now, at a nightclub, Federline apparently scrawled on a bathroom wall, Today I'm a free man. F*** a wife. Give me my kids, bitch. Federline wanted full custody, and he got it, after Brittany was aggressively targeted by the paparazzi and following two 5150s. And if you read Ronan and Gia's New Yorker piece, which I highly recommend, and the link is in the show notes, it certainly sounds like Britney was framed. That, and along with the fact that no one at the time thought to ask questions about postpartum depression. Now, again, I spoke with Dr. Jessica Taylor about psychiatrists and psychologists, mainly men who created the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, based on mainly studies of men. And you see, women are different. And that's why we don't behave like men and we don't fit into their categories or their typologies. So put another way, women don't follow male-centric models, syndromes and diagnoses. Now that doesn't mean we're defunct in any way. It just means we're different and women should be studied separately and treated differently and prioritised. Now another recommendation here is that you read the book by Caroline Criado-Perez called Invisible Women. And then your mind will be truly blown by how much of the world is shaped by men without us even knowing it. From medical models to nutrition studies, gym equipment, to the temperature setting in your office. And that's why it's important to recognise syndromes that have been made up by male psychiatrists on the back of one case, like Stockholm Syndrome. The major concern for me is that a male psychiatrist can create a syndrome and lo and behold... It becomes a syndrome for a woman. And it's not about Stockholm Syndrome alone. Think about parental alienation, which has been debunked and now is seen as a junk science. But it was ostensibly made up by Richard Gardner, a male psychiatrist, to justify paedophilia. He claimed that 90% of children who allege sexual abuse by a male father figure are making it up, i.e. they're making false allegations. Now, this was based on self-published work that was never peer-reviewed. And then there's the fight-or-flight response to a credible threat studied by Walter Cannon in the 30s, whose study comprised only of men. Later studies undertaken by women that included women showed that, yes, some women may respond with fight-or-flight responses. However, the majority of women studied, and in my own personal experience, women tend to collaborate or freeze if there's a credible threat to their life. We know as women we're unlikely to fight our way out of a situation when a man turns violent or threatens us. 
we're actually much more likely to freeze or to try and talk our way out of the situation. We're likely to try and build rapport, to empathize, to do what they say, to collaborate. And that way we're more likely to survive it. And when women are pregnant, which I am now, and or when you have your baby, of course it changes you. It's not an illness, but your hormones fluctuate and postpartum depression is real. It's not a disorder and it can co-occur with trauma and it is treatable. How would male psychiatrists and others possibly understand this if it's not prioritised or studied or written about? Again, just consider how little women's health issues are a priority and how women are made to feel when we disclose illness or how we're treated within the healthcare system. And particularly if someone is in trauma and they're assessed by professionals who have no understanding of trauma, well, it results in women who are much more likely to be medicated. And what all women need to understand, and I say yes, all women, is that if this can happen to Brittany, it can happen to anyone. And we know it does, and much worse. And this is exactly how women are pathologized, as I discussed in episode 29 with Dr. Jessica Taylor. In my opinion, what's been happening to Brittany is an abuse of process and power, and those involved should be investigated. Brittany herself said her father and others should be in prison, and since her searing open testimony describing her life under her conservatorship, there have been some huge changes to her legal situation. And of course, since Dr. Jessica Taylor and I spoke, Ronan and Gia also published their investigation in The New Yorker. And so a domino effect has happened, and we've seen resignation after resignation. Firstly, wealth management company Bessemer Trust, which had been set to take over as co-conservator for Britney's estate, requested to resign after her testimony. Now this is and was positive and favourable for Britney. Then on Monday the 5th of July, Britney's longtime manager Larry Rudolph resigned after 25 years. Now Rudolph cited the singer's intention to officially retire as the reason for his resignation. Now he said he hadn't been instructed by her for about two years, and he said he had nothing to do with the conservatorship, its operation or the details of it. But I have to say I find this curious and strange. Is Rudolph, her manager of 25 years, seriously saying that he had no idea what was going on for the past 13 years, despite the fact she's been working? So is he saying that he hasn't been negotiating deals or taking a cut? Like for the last 13 years, he's saying he's done nothing, not just two. I find this baffling, and I have to say I don't find it credible. And then her court-appointed attorney, Sam Ingham, also requested to resign, effective upon the appointment of a new court-appointed counsel, he said. And that's an interesting stipulation. On appointment of a new court-appointed counsel, when Brittany has said time and time again that she wants to hire her own lawyer. Good Lord, if that's not a clear demonstration of a lawyer not listening to their client, I don't know what is. And it was also fascinating to hear Brittany herself say to the judge that she had no idea that she could petition the court to end the conservatorship when her lawyer, Samuel Ingham, should have advised her of her rights. It's the most basic undertaking of your contract with a lawyer. And yet seemingly, this is a right that's been overlooked. And what's more, Ingham advised Brittany against speaking out. Brittany said this, My lawyer Sam has been very scared for me to go forward. He told me I should keep it to myself. I bet he did. 
You see, silence acts like consent, and that's been the whole problem with this arrangement. And I'll say this, silence helps no one other than those who seek to control and abuse you. And I cannot begin to describe how angry I am about this. If it's true, this is a dereliction of duty. And let me add this, Britney's mother, Lynn Spears, has now also requested that Britney be allowed to hire her own private lawyer. So finally, Lynn has stepped up. Now, as I said before, Britney's really not asking for much. And just compare it again to Cosby. He never stayed quiet. And everyone, from his publicist, Andrew Wyatt, Camille, other actors and the media, everyone has been amplifying his voice. In fact, the minute he has something to say, it's reported upon in the media. Nikki Weiss and C. Egan, the journalist who covered and broke the case back in 2005, who's also host of Chasing Cosby, the podcast and author of the book of the same name, well, she and I have discussed this time and time again. So everyone amplifies Cosby's voice. Yet conversely, everyone around Britney has been silencing her for more than a decade. And just think about all the female Cosby survivors, many of whom are women of colour, most of whom have been silenced and discredited and made to look bad and treated abysmally. And neither of these cases are anomalies. I wish they were. They're symptomatic of what happens time and time again. The same patterns repeat. As I mentioned, think about Epstein, Weinstein, Larry Nasser, R. Kelly, Woody Allen. The list goes on and on. Serial perpetrators who all discredited the victims and others who helped them. The ecosystem that enabled them and supported them. Come forward and report rape and domestic abuse, everyone says. Yeah, because when you do, when you finally have the courage to speak out and report what happened, women are routinely discredited not believed or not taken seriously or prioritised, and conversely, the perpetrator gets away with it and is green-lit to do it all over again. In fact, oftentimes, the perpetrator's career goes from strength to strength. I mean, look at Cosby with his tour and book deal and docu-series. Whilst the victims and survivors are left to figure out what happened and to try and rebuild their lives, and it really makes me angry. We have to change this. We're all part of the solution. We can all create change. And I wholeheartedly believe there are more good professionals and people who need to align and make it happen. And that includes you listening to this. We can all play our part. So back to Brittany, what does the future look like for her? Well, all the lawyers that I've spoken with prior to today who are conservatorship and or guardianship experts say that they're tricky and almost impossible to end. In fact, a number of specialist lawyers in this area have told me they don't know of one case where a petitioner has been successful. So there's that. And what we do now know is that Jamie Spears has spent more than $2 million of Britney's own money to try and stop her from ending the conservatorship. This really is outrageous. He's been using her own money against her. You really can't make this up. Why would this ever be in her interest? He has unlimited funds, her funds, on tap to do what he wants. And I think it should be the court who orders him to pay it back to her. Every single dollar and cent that he's spent that's in his own self-interest and against Britney's self-interest. And I hope the judge orders him to pay it back. 
You see, what's still ringing in my ears is a statement from the Hulu show framing Britney Spears that Jamie wasn't involved in Britney's career. Lynn was. But at the start of it, Jamie was concerned about the money side. And he told a family friend that when Britney was rich and successful, she'd buy him a boat. That says it all, doesn't it? So what else is new? Well, Jodie Montgomery, who's a conservator of Britney's person, her father is a conservator of her finances, well, Jodie Montgomery now appears to be fighting for Britney against her father. If true, this again is really positive. Also, we know that Britney can petition to end the conservatorship and also other people can do so on her behalf. In fact, California Probate Code Section 1861 states that a petition to end the conservatorship may be filed by the conservateur, the conservatee, or the spouse or domestic partner, or any relative or friend of the conservatee or other interested person. In addition, Brittany would have to show proof that she can take care of herself both personally and financially. Now, this is also tricky if someone else has been managing your affairs, which is the case for Brittany. I mean, how can she actively demonstrate that she's able to pay her bills when she hasn't been allowed to pay her bills? And in California, the burden of proof is on the individual. That in itself is a challenge because the person subject to conservatorship or guardianship is already disadvantaged by the bias and stigma created by the initial determination that they lack capacity. But the court has a lot of power in these situations. You see, even if Britney never files to end the conservatorship, the court has the power to do so itself. And California also has probate court investigators. Now, their job is to periodically go out and visit the conservatees to spend time with them, and then they submit a report to the court. While these reports are sealed, the New York Times has reported that Britney told a court investigator back in 2016 that the conservatorship had, and I quote, too much control over her life. I mean, that seems to be the understatement of the year, quite frankly. But let's not forget, we don't know what's been said to Britney behind closed doors by Jamie Spears and co. Back then, if she had spoken out, perhaps the visits with her children would have stopped. You see, when someone has ultimate control of every aspect of your life and it's state-sanctioned, there's really no way out. If Britney stops taking her meds, she's not conforming. If she speaks out, she'll be punished. If she says she's not crazy, the crazier she sounds. If she stops working, she's not conforming. If she conforms, then they say it's working and it should continue. And the more money everyone involved makes from Britney and this arrangement, the greater the incentive is to keep it going. So many people have told me that conservatorships are ripe for abuse and that Britney's case has brought into sharp relief common exploitation issues associated with them. Now, I'm sure that in some cases, conservatorships have their place, perhaps for those at the end of their life. However, if Britney's case is anything to go by, these conservatorships are positively draconian and need to be radically overhauled and modernised and careful scrutiny is required in all cases going forward, as well as listening to conservatees and to what they want. And in my opinion, that should have happened right at the start of Britney's case. But no doubt, because she's a woman, that didn't happen. Okay, so now I'm going to talk with Lonnie, and you're going to hear the latest straight from the court hearing today. Okay, so here we go. Let's talk with Lonnie Coombs. 
Hey, Lonnie, welcome back to Crime Analysts. It's really good to have you here. Wednesday, the 14th of July, the day that we've been waiting for because it was Britney Spears' hearing today. And I've literally been like a cat on a hot tin roof. I don't know if that phrase translates to Americans, but it means that I've been on the edge of my seat. And I know you've been in court all day. So, and you had a very early start. So I'm very conscious of your time because we're recording (laughs) after court. So please tell me what happened today. Set it up, paint the picture. What happened when you got there early this morning? So Laura, it was really interesting. This is the second hearing. And I think people were anticipating a lot because the last hearing was such a bombshell uh, and people were able to hear it live. And I think that just really brought everything to the forefront and made everyone feel very connected to the case, to Brittany, and wondering, is it true? Is this really happening to her? Can it happen? Is this allowed? Uh, people have been everywhere I've gone in the last two weeks. That's all everybody's asked. What, what about Brittany? What do you think? What do you think? And so it really is a, a main topic of discussion from you know all ages, whether they're Brittany fans or not. So got there early this morning, about 10 o'clock. Um, and it was interesting that Brittany supporters and fans weren't quite there yet because the hearing wasn't until 1.30. But the media got there early because it's on a first come first serve basis to be in the courtroom. And they were not going to allow the audio link like was allowed last time. That's, that's essentially a process that was put into place in the courthouses in Los Angeles during the pandemic. So it was a COVID protocol to allow people to be able to join in on a legal proceeding in court by audio. Um, but during the Brittany hearing last time, people recorded it, as you know, because we've heard recordings of it. And the judge had specifically said, no recordings, no transcribing. So when she heard that people had recorded it, she shut down the um, audio link. In fact, she did it right at the end of the hearing. She did it right away. And then she didn't allow it to go up this time. So if you weren't in the courtroom, you were not going to be able to hear this hearing. So there were people from different media outlets there ready to get in line when the courthouse opened at eight o'clock. So, and I had somebody, you know, waiting in line for me from our, I was, I was um, covering it for Access Hollywood. So I got there and there's already the media lined up. There's a lot of deputies in front of the courthouse. And then they had some yellow tape up that, which was new. Last time they didn't have quite so many procedures in place. Um, I think because they were anticipating, you know, a big group. So, um, you know, it just everyone's kind of talking to each other and wondering what was going to happen. Is, you know, Brittany going to show up? Is this new attorney going to show up? So everyone was wondering if this man named Matthew Rosengart was going to show up. So the reports were that Brittany had been talking to him and asking him to, re- to represent her. Now, he's a very respected attorney here in Los Angeles. He's a former federal prosecutor, and he's represented different celebrities like Sean Penn, Steven Spielberg, Ben Affleck, Soledad O'Brien. So he's used to high-profile cases. And Sean Penn said of him, he has a big brain and bigger principles. So it sounds like the right man for the job for for what Brittany's going through right now. She needs somebody that's not going to be, you know, sidetracked by the money. Because there's a lot of money involved here. Someone who's going to be focused on her best interests and, you know, beyond everything else. So, but, but nobody knew what was really going to happen. And even if he did show up, was the judge going to let him step in? Because the way the conservatorship is set up, she's not allowed to pick her own attorney. So the judge would have to first say, okay, I think she's capable at this point to pick her own attorney. And then how do you make that happen? There, you know, everybody had different ideas of legally how you're supposed to make that happen. 
And then there were a whole litany of other things on the table because, as you know, since that last hearing, there's been a flurry of petitions. Sam Ingram, her attorney for the last 13 years, um, was surprised, I think, about some of the things that Brittany said about him in the last hearing. So he put in a petition to the court saying he wants to resign. Then the Bessemer Trust a firm who had been appointed by the court to be co-conservators over her estate with Jamie, they submitted a petition saying, hey, when we were asked to do this, we were told that the conservatorship was voluntary and that Brittany had approved us. We listened to her speak. She said just the opposite and we're respecting what she said. We want to withdraw ourselves. So that was in front of the judge. And then there were some other things that there were petitions back and forth between Jamie and Jody. Now, these are the two conservators that are left. Jamie's over the money. Jody Montgomery is over all of the daily decisions, who she sees, what she does, where she goes, you know, her medical and health plans. And from the last hearing, as we know, Jamie was kind of the big target for Brittany's anger. So he came out swinging. He came out first with a petition saying the judge needs to investigate these allegations that she made and determine if they're true or they're false. And if they're false, then let's just keep going on the way things are going. And then he sent another petition out saying, and if they're true, well, then it's all Jody Montgomery's fault because she's the one that makes all these decisions about Brittany's daily experiences. And if daily's, if Brittany's miserable, then it's all Jody's fault, essentially. And Jody responded with her, her own petition saying, uh, Jamie knows very well that everything essentially goes through him. Anything that Brittany wants to do usually costs money. So she has to go to him because he has to approve every penny that she spends. And she said, you know, sometimes Jamie does approve it. See, he still is the final arbiter of what she can and cannot do. And then she also made some allegations about how many millions of dollars Jamie has spent of Brittany's money, you know, in, in um, fighting to keep this conservatorship going. And then J- Jody also said, look, I've been getting death threats since the hearing because I'm staying on and helping Brittany and I'm asking for extra security. And Jamie was objecting to that because, of course, Jamie has to approve the the expenditure. It's all coming out of Brittany's money, right? So all of these things were on the table uh, when we went into court. And you go in and you wait in this line. It's one long hallway in the probate courthouse. And there's one side of it is for the public that want to get in. And then the other side is for media. And there's benches along the wall, thank heavens. And so it's sort of COVID protocols. Everybody's wearing masks and each bench has two people. And it's a long hallway and it was filled. Um, slowly over time, by one o'clock, there were probably close to 60 different media reporters there. And they had cut off the people from the public, I think at eight, eight or 10 people. So they gave us a ticket. You had to show your um, media access badge and to be able to get in. And once you got into the courtroom, no computers, no phones, no nothing. All you could use was a pen and paper um, to take notes. And if you got caught doing anything, you're going to be kicked out. So we sat there and at 1.30, the court clerk started to take roll, essentially, of all the parties that were supposed to be there. 20 attorneys, 20. It took almost 30 minutes to just take the roll call and make sure that everybody was on Zoom or on their phone, you know, LinkedIn. There were two attorneys in the courtroom uh, and all the rest were on Zoom. And then we also heard Jamie Spears, which is Brittany's father, Lynn Spears, her mother, and Brittany all said yes in the roll call as well. Um, and then we saw just before the um, the session started, in walked this man and all of the whispers go and like, that's Matthew, that's Matthew. So he walked in and he took, put his um, business card, gave it to the bailiff who took it to the clerk. And then he uh, was directed to go sit over in the audience because he was not accepted yet as an attorney. 
So the judge finally took the bench just before two o'clock. This and it started at one thirty. And then she goes to the roll call with everybody. And then she said, I understand that there's a gentleman here in court that um, Ms. Spears may want to have represent her. And so they had uh, Matthew come up and then Brittany said, yes, that's who I want to have represent me. And it was interesting. The judge didn't just, you know, definitively say, yes, you're on board. First, she wanted to know if his firm did conservatorship cases, which is a very legitimate question. And he said yes, and he went through information about his firm, about the section that handles conservatorships and trusts and estates and some different cases that handled. He said, I can submit all of this in a declaration. And then she asked, is anybody come to you, any party in this case come to you and ask for your representation already? Because that would be a conflict of interest. And he said no. So she said, okay, then, you know, essentially you can be on it. I mean, she didn't make like a big declaration like, I believe Brittany is capable and I'm giving her authority to pick her own attorney. I mean, after all this, after 13 years of her asking, it was so anticlimactic. In fact, it took us all a while to figure out if she had officially said he was on. Even he said a little bit later, he goes, well, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming from the court's comments that I'm being appointed or accepted. I mean, it was really not that clear. And then the funny thing is Sam Ingram, the former attorney, um, he's still on the hook, right? He hasn't been released yet. And so he keeps saying, okay, I, I submitted a petition to resign. Uh, can I resign? And he kept asking that after why you felt sorry for him because the judge wasn't really saying, yes, you're you're off. And meanwhile, Brittany wanted to speak. And apparently we found out later, she said she wasn't able to get Matthews. Um, she couldn't contact him by phone. So he's text, she's texting Sam and Sam's going, excuse me, Ms. Spears is texting me and saying she wants to speak to the court. So even though he's supposed to be off the case, he keeps getting pulled in. So it was, it was kind of awkward and almost comical at some points, but it was clear Brittany wanted to make a statement. So the judge says, oh, okay, because she had all these things she was trying to work through. And she goes, oh, okay, what would you like to say? And the first thing she says is, I want the courtroom closed. And we were all shocked. We're like, what? She's the one asking for it to be closed. She was the one that wanted it all public. Right. And the judge for 13 years, everything's been sealed, right? Everything's been closed. The judges sealed up everything. And the judge's response was just so ironic. She said, well, Mr. Rosengart, as her new attorney, I hear Ms. Spears wants this closed. You need to submit to me legal authority that justifies that because, you know, there are cases that say this should be open to the public. Where was that for the last 13 years, right? And so exactly. I think Mr. Rosengart was kind of taken by surprise. And so he was you know, kind of scrambling a little bit there. And there was another attorney next to him who's apparently been on the case for quite a while. And I'm not sure who he represented, but he's pulling up a brief on his computer and shows it to him. And then Mr. Rosengart stands up and goes, well, Your Honor, I would like to cite all of the legal case law that's been used every time this court has closed this hearing in the past 13 years, essentially. But respectfully, in other words, saying, look, you've done this before. You've, you know, whatever case law you relied on in the past, every time you sealed it, I'm going to refer to that. But as he's doing that, Brittany keeps speaking up. She goes, I'll just do it open. I'll just do it open. So the court goes, okay, go ahead and say what you want to say. And then she launched into, again, uh, another statement that she had read. And like before, she started going faster and faster and faster. And she had to be stopped a couple of times. But the gist of it was she wants her father out. It was very clear. She said, um, She said, the reason I'm here is one, I want it to be clear who I want to have representing me, which is Rose Garden. And then the second thing is, I want my father off. I want him off today. I am so done with him. Because she also said certain things, didn't she, about further abuse 
Yes. Which so, sounded quite important in terms of the detail of, of yes. why she wants him out and what she said thereafter. Did you take a note of the other things that she said? I did. I'll go right through it here. She started out saying she's here to show who she wants as her new lawyer and to remove her dad and to terminate the conservatorship if there's no evaluation required. And then she went on and she said, you know, Your Honor, I understand in some states the law doesn't require evaluation. She doesn't know why her old attorney, Sam, never explained this to her, but she doesn't want an evaluation. And she goes into that later. Then she says, I want my dad out. And here's why. Um, that she was scheduled in that forced rehab rehabilitation too much and that she was threatened if she didn't comply with everything that they were demanding of her. And she talked about how many hours she was demanded to be available, essentially 10 hours every day, seven days a week. They would talk to her for about eight hours, but she literally said she just had to sit there for them to come in and talk to her for 10 hours every day. She said she was extremely scared of her dad. She was always afraid that he would show up drunk. She said they... No, it wasn't clear who they were. They knew she was vulnerable and scared. She said they took her hair vitamins away. And she said, that's not abuse. That's just effing cruel. And then she says, I don't know why they were doing that. I, so I just thought they were trying to kill me. I mean, she, she's like, this is crazy making, right? She said they wouldn't let her have me coffee. No coffee. Um, she had no privacy. People were always with her. And then she said, again, I want to get rid of my dad. In fact, she said, I want to charge him with conservator abuse. She said, you know, and this is a great point. She goes, they got a restraining order against him for attacking one of my sons. You know, you shouldn't wonder why he's abusive to me. In other words, the courts already legitimize the fact that he is, you know, volatile. Now, why don't you believe it when it comes to me saying that? She said she's repping, she was representing herself until she got her new attorney. She didn't realize that the court had already said she had her new attorney. So she's speaking up for herself. She said she wants her dad investigated and removed. Stop investigating me and investigate him now. And then she talked about how he took her driver's license away for eight months. Apparently, she got pulled over, and she didn't even get a ticket. She was going two miles over the speed limit, and the, the um, police officer gave her a warning. And because of that, they took her license away. And after five months, she'd been asking and asking, because you, you don't have a driver's license. You're not going anywhere, right? You're just totally stuck. But after five months, she kept begging and begging, and finally, she said, they had somebody come. She said, test me to make sure that I can drive. So they had like an officer come test her. And she said he, you know, was just like felt sorry for her and said, you know, she's fine. So finally they gave her her license back. So it's only been like in the last five months that she's been able to drive. She said she wants to press charges against her dad. She says, I am angry and I will go there. Then she had talked about the evaluations. She said, I will not do another evaluation. She said she had to do three of them when she was touring. Remember she when she was on her tour? And she said she didn't like them, but they told her if she passed, it would be over. She thought that meant the conservatorship would be lifted, but they lied to her. She said, right. I realized they were just making me do it so they could keep me working. In other words, there was probably a test to give to, you know, the insurance or whatever. So, so she's being told, like, play by the rules and then you'll be released. But then the yes. rules change once she's complied, which is classic, exactly. classic yeah. behavior to yeah. co so coercively control someone, keep changing the rules so you never know where you stand. Exactly. And so she's like, why should I take it again? Because you're telling me if I do that, you're going to end it again. She goes, no, 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 I played that game. I've done it three times already. I'm not doing that again. She said, in, rather than taking another evaluation, she'd rather not even try to terminate the um, conservatorship. She'd rather just work with Jody Montgomery on future goals with rules that will benefit her. So she's right. very realistic. She's even saying, you know, I'll just follow whatever rules. As long as they're good for me, I'll do it. And then she said, I know I'm not perfect. You know, I get angry. I have temper tantrums. But she said their goal was always to make me feel crazy. 
And then she brought up, she said one of the craziest experiences was um, the fact that her family never cared about her. They were all staying at a Florida beach house that she paid for, right? Her whole family. And she said, not once when they were there, did they ever ask her, what's going on? Are you okay? And then she said, you know, I, I something she wasn't really clear about this. She was a little bit rambling in places, but she was talking about how she couldn't leave. She wanted to leave. She asked her dad, can I leave? And he kind of made fun of her like, you must be crazy if you think you can't leave or you, or you can leave, whatever it was. But he said something that made her really upset. And she actually broke down crying in the courtroom in, on, on the phone. She said that there was a kind assistant at the house who would bring a therapy dog to her to sit with her. And then she really, she stopped and she was crying. And the judge told her she could take a moment. And then when she started talking again, Literally, she'd gone from that little girl breathy voice. It was like a full-bodied woman voice. And she said, I want my dad removed today. And she said, she now has the confidence to be in the real world now. Good for her. Good yeah. for her. I mean, I think that crazy making stuff, you know, she's, she's talked about it before, but it sounds like she was much more... Um, there was clarity as to their goal was to make me feel like I was crazy, like the gaslighting, the kind of messing around with, well, you're free to go whenever you want. But of course, there's all these invisible chains and there's all these yeah. rules that she has to abide by. And if she doesn't, then something happens to her. And that's that's what I think the, the smaller things that obviously really did upset her, like taking away her coffee and her well, driving license isn't a, a small thing. As we know, in Los Angeles, you have to have your license to get around. It's not yeah. like London where you can jump on the tube. And of course, someone of her fame and everyone knows her, she's not going to be jumping on public transport, but taking her hair vitamins, the things that actually really matter the most to her, the day-to-day -day things being micromanaged to that degree and her saying, it's just plain cruel. There was no reason to do it. It's just insidious, cruel. And that's so much of what coercive control is about and the crazy making behavior. And if that was the goal, and I think didn't uh, Matthew Rosengart speak at one point and address the court and he threw out the question of whether oh Jamie Spears was operating in her best interest or whether there was perhaps financial gain, which of course the oh. rest of us <laughs> all know the answer to that question. Tell yeah, us about yeah, that. What happened? This was my favorite part of the hearing. And I'll tell you, you know, Matthew comes from a background of being a federal prosecutor. And it, there is a difference, I think, between criminal law and civil law. Civil law, there's a lot more nitpicky details and, you know, 50 petitions and, you know, this and that and fill out the orders. And, you know, and I think in criminal law, you get more just right to it. I think. And so he started out and he said, and, and there was before that, after Brittany talked, there was some back and forth between uh, Jamie's attorney and Jody's attorney, you know, talking about the security um, detail that she wanted and Jamie was objecting to it and saying, you know, there's other people who have gotten death threats too, and I'm having to prioritize which ones. And she came back, it was interesting. Jody Montgomery's attorney came back and said, look, she's asking for a one time payment of $50,000 to give her a security guard now until she finishes modifications to make her house safer. It's a one-time payment. And since you've already paid $3 million in legal fees, let's get our priorities in order here. Legal oh God, fees. $3 million versus, in legal fees. Yeah. yeah. So that kind, of, that kind of shut them up. I'll, you know, Jamie withdrew the objection. So anyways, so then, and then, and then Jody's attorney, um, Jody Montgomery, who's the one who is, you know, her personal conservator, she talked about how they've been planning this care plan 
ever since the last hearing. They've been working together with the medical team to put this together. And it's essentially so that she can work towards being independent and not need the conservatorship anymore. Now, my big question, of course, is where has this care plan been in the last 13 years? That should have been happening right right off the bat. But one interesting thing she said about the care plan was a medical team that's been working on this strongly recommended that Jamie be taken off. Oh, interesting. That is in her best, that is a medical team working to figure out what's best for Brittany and they want Jamie off. Okay, so then we get to- That makes sense, Lonnie, just to jump in, because if it's stressing her out even more, which clearly it is, it's just counterproductive. I mean, any common, you know, sense would dictate that if somebody is- really stressing her out and who she vehemently right from the start said didn't want involved and it's not going to be helpful to her recovery anyway and without the plan and having a clear plan and a pathway but I think you know just what you mentioned about the restraining order the her son being abused by let's call it what it is by Jamie Spears and there was a restraining order but also Lynn took out temporary restraining order when she separated there is a history of abuse here so Brittany does have very good points that she's raised doesn't she everything she said I mean the delivery may be much more rambly because for the first time she's got the microphone not singing but actually talking about what's gone on for 13 years so I would expect to hear that but actually what she says seems to make a lot of sense to me yeah and and I agree with you on the rambly you know if you've been holding something in this important for 13 years, it's going to just burst out of you, right? I mean, I, I'm amazed how clear and coherent she is when she's she's clearly plans these statements out very carefully. So we get to her attorney, Matthew Rosengart, the new attorney now. He stands up and he says, in the short time I've been involved in this case, because he just got on, he said, it is clear that this setup is not working. He said, the heart of the matter has been lost, and that is Britney Spears' best interest. And then she said, oh, I have to give you the background for this. So Jamie's attorney got up and said, essentially, she was talking about the allegations that Brittany made in the last one and how Jamie thinks that um, an investigation needs to be made into this because he feels like, you know, it's not fair. She mischaracterized it. She's not correct. For whatever reason, she's wrong. And he wants his side to come out and he wants this assessment, this investigation to be given and essentially, you know, have Brittany come in and they'll, you know, take testimony. and. Jody's attorneys, who are the ones who are over her health, said, without breaking any privacy confidentiality here, you know what her protocol is, her wellness protocol, and you are suggesting she be subjected to cross-examination in a courtroom. You know how much damage that would do to her. That, you know, and um, okay, so that was an interesting point. So very valid point. And of course, he's going to say, She's a liar. She can't be believed. This is all spurious. These are false allegations. I don't know any coercive controller or abuser who has not said exactly that. So that's, to me, just out the playbook and to be expected. Yeah. And if you take someone that I think everyone will agree, I mean, it's alluded to in the court, but nobody says exactly what it is, that there is some uh, mental vulnerabilities in Brittany. And so then you're saying we want to subject her to cr- cross-examination is damaging for everyone. It is a difficult thing to go through when somebody's sitting there attacking you, attacking. She's been going through this for 13 years. Now she's supposed to get up on the stand and have it happen, you know, in public. It's ridiculous. Okay. So then her attorney gets up and says, you know, you've missed what the heart of it is the best interests of Brittany. And then he said, I'm appalled at what Jamie's attorney just suggested. We should not be putting Britney Spears on trial. The purpose here is to end this conservatorship. 
And then he pointed out something that I have been saying for quite a while here. When this conservatorship was put into place, it was during a crisis period, right, for Brittany. Mm -hmm. It was a temporary conservatorship. That's what it should have been, if anything, a temporary. But six months later, they made it a permanent conservatorship. And that's when she was screwed. She was stuck in a permanent, right? So he says right there, this should never have been a permanent conservatorship. In fact, it probably could have been dealt with without a conservatorship at all. And we are going to look into that decision. In fact, yes, we're going to look at this case from top to bottom. And then he says, why doesn't Jamie Spears voluntarily step down now? Why not? Is it because of a conflict of interest? Is it financial? And then he kind of turned, he was kind of turning like to the audience a little bit too. He goes, Jody Montgomery or somebody else could step in as the estate conservator and do just fine. And then he said, does anyone really believe the continued participation of Jamie Spears is in the best interests of Britney Spears? And then he said, we are filing a petition, but I am asking in open court I am asking Jamie Spears to step down now. He says he loves his daughter. If he loves her, it's time to step down so Britney Spears can move on. And this is the first step in moving on with her life. Excellent. I mean, I would have applauded because it's just so on point. It really is is. to have somebody say, "We we should go back to the beginning and see why it went from a temporary measure to a permanent so quickly. That seemed to happen and and the hearing where it became permanent, it sounds like it was just 10 minutes that the judge decided without questioning Brittany or anything else. So I think that is a really valid point and they should go back. Why did this happen? As we discussed last time we spoke, we've seen plenty of people, Kanye West and others, have meltdowns. We haven't seen a conservatorship come in. So why was why was Brittany so different? And I think yeah. him just sowing that seed as a former federal prosecutor, you know, he understands court, he understands what he's there to do. He's hugely experienced, without a doubt. But saying that, yes, they need to go back, but also if he really loved his daughter, then he should voluntarily step down because he is not in her best interest. Therefore, they, the two things fight each other. And did uh, did he, Jamie Spears's lawyer reply, or was there a response from Jamie? She did. She did. The, the parties, Jamie and uh, Lynn, did not speak, but their attorneys did for them. And it was interesting because uh, the judge turned to Jamie's attorney and said, "The question has been asked of your client. Would you like to respond?" And she said. Well, there's a process and a mechanism for how things work. We're still asking for the instructions and the clarifications. It's not appropriate to ask Jamie to step down. Then she's went on to say, there's hysteria on the record. There's misstatements on the record. You know, Britney Spears believes that Jamie's responsible for all her problems, but you still need to hear both sides. You know, I'm so glad that Mr. Rosengart is on now. We're going to work together. But his question does not warrant an answer. He's not going to resign, not in this way and not without being heard. And I have to tell you, it was, I think it was so clear to every single person in that courtroom. You know, you get asked to forget all the legalese, forget all the process, whatever. The question that Rosengart asked was just a straight human question. It was just a reasonable, rational, logical, why isn't he just stepping out? Forget all the protocols, forget everything. You love her, you're causing her trauma. It's clear, why did you step down? And his attorney's response was so obtuse. It was like, I'm still sitting here defending myself. The bottom line is, even if everything Brittany says is just in her head or mischaracterizations or misunderstandings, 
honestly, it's actually irrelevant. The bottom line is it's causing her trauma. His yeah. presence is causing her trauma. And that should be the end of it. That should be, yes. okay, you're causing her trauma. You need to get out of the picture because we're trying to help her get better, not cause her to get worse. Absolutely. 100% Lonnie. And I, you know, when I use the word rambling, I think I said to you when I last time, when we last time spoke, it's to me, I hear trauma and he triggers her without a doubt. And therefore what you've just said is absolutely spot on. And you would remove yourself. If you genuinely love that person, you would want the best for them. As you say, strip everything back He's her father. You would just want the best for them. So why is he clinging on so desperately? Why did he spend $2 million trying to stop her from having her voice and to remove the conservatorship? So there are questions to be asked. And I think it sounds like Matthew Rosengard really stepped in today and made his presence known. But probably it's the first time we've heard someone advocating for her properly, doing their job as her lawyer. And that's probably quite shocking too. And I would imagine maybe the judge played it down because to me, him stepping in, it's her human right to have a lawyer of her choice. This this shouldn't be something that, oh, wow, we should all be applauding. Mm -hmm. This should be her human right, actually. This is a constitutional right. And that's what representation was made, wasn't it? Yeah, just this week, the American Civil Liberties Union, they filed an amicus brief with the Los Angeles County Superior Court, basically saying that under California law and under California and United States law of protecting a conservative's right to select an attorney whom she trusts to advocate zealously for her expressed interests. And they underlined the importance of that to the judge. And you know, when I've been reflecting t- today, and I know you were in the courtroom and I was, you know, really wanting to know what was happening and I was hoping that this would be the outcome. I felt very, first of all, celebratory about this. And then I thought, but when we last spoke, I said to you that she's not really asking for much. And I really don't think that she is. So this shouldn't be celebrated as, as this huge victory. It's actually her constitutional right. When we think that Bill Cosby could choose his team of lawyers, Harvey Weinstein chose his team. Larry Nasser, you know, you're a serial killer, you're a serial rapist, you have a right to choose your representation. And Brittany hasn't had any right. Her rights were taken away and her autonomy was taken away. So this was, I'm really glad that the judge made the decision. And obviously, Brittany has chosen someone. I would have preferred it to have been a woman, by the way, that was surprised nobody. But because I do think that the, the level of abuse I don't think men are subjected to this level of abuse. And I think that in a sense, it's so nuanced um, that I really hope Matthew Rosengart does understand the true extent of the coercive control. That the, it's like domestic slavery, isn't it? But maybe there's a better way of the court or the judge or even he representing this in terms of the financial loss and damage that maybe it should be Jamie Spears's account should be looked at forensically to see how he has spent money and what really is in Britney's interest and what's been in his own self-interest. And perhaps that's the better way to, as well as looking at the conservatorship abuse, but looking at the financial arrangement, because it just strikes me that the judge should be saying that if there is any form of financial abuse, which comes under coercive control as well in the law in England and Wales. And of course, we don't have a coercive control law here in in California, but you normally see abuse with financial and economic. And if they looked at how he was spending her money, because it is all about 
her money. I would imagine that probably 80% of it, and I'm just saying on Pareto's principle, the 80-20 rule, probably 80% of it has gone into his self-interest, 20% to hers. And if they genuinely found that, he should be ordered to pay back that money to her. And effectively, it's fraud, isn't it? It's not, the conservatorship isn't there to make him money. She's not there to make him money. And it's not a business model. It's meant to be all about her best interest. And as Matthew Rosengart said, that's the part that seems to have been missed by everybody in this 13-year draconian arrangement. Yeah. And it's a good point you said about the financial abuse, because actually when they're looking at alleged abuses in conservatorships, the financial abuse part of it is probably the easiest part to prove. The other things, there's more wide variety ranges of discretion in what they can allow them to do or not do. You know, oh, okay, I didn't let her drive for two weeks. They can come up easier with, you know, reasons why they felt they had to do that. But the financial abuse is actually easier to prove. And so it was clear, I really was, you know, reading between the lines on some of this, but one, he was very clear when he said, we're going to look at this from top to bottom. I think he's going to be looking at it from top to bottom. And I think that's that that was what Brittany was very clear about because in her statement, that's what she was saying. She wants her father to be prosecuted if at all possible. And I think that's part of what Matthew's going to do for her. I really hope so. And just for my listeners, you might not know who Matthew Rosengart is, but as Lonnie said, he's a former federal prosecutor. He previously served as a supervisory assistant, United States attorney and justice department trial attorney, where he investigated and prosecuted cases of national and international significance, ranging from violent crimes to public corruption with substantial civil and criminal trial experience. And he's recognized nationally in terms of trial practice for complex cases and particularly entertainment litigation. And lots of people have quoted about him by saying, he's the lawyer you want in your corner. You know, and yes, she does need someone who is the master of their craft because unfortunately, you know, we know from Jamie Spears that he has run rings around her with a whole number of lawyers And she has had a court-appointed attorney who seems to not have even told her the very basics of her rights, which is the basics of contract law, to let her know that she can end, she can basically petition to end the conservatorship at any time. And it was Sam Ingham who was telling her not to speak out initially. So I'm so glad that there's somebody now who's going to be her voice and within the legal system And I think she paid tribute to her fans as well, didn't she? That they sort of empowered her to speak out and speak up. And I think that that is a wonderful tribute to all the people who have been saying for some time that Britney's not happy, this isn't right, and that she has been shackled in invisible chains and she wanted to acknowledge them, which I think is really lovely for them, but also for her to feel so supported by everybody, because I did get this sense that she has just been in this bubble and this level of isolation where they're probably telling her that everyone thinks she's crazy and all these things that have been done unto her that make her feel like she's crazy, ergo she's crazy. And I think now she realizes for the first time that actually that's not the case. And I talked about this extensively with Dr. Jessica Taylor, who, you know, it is this terrible revolving door that the more you try and say you're not crazy the crazier they say that you are and that's really where she's been hasn't she so what do you think we'll see next in in the coming weeks in this case 
The next hearing is going to be September 28th, I believe. And at that point, the care plan should be done by then and being submitted to the court. It's going to be done under seal because obviously that is going to be about all of her medical needs. So a lot of privacy issues there. But Matthew was clear, we're going to file that petition immediately, the petition to remove Jamie. So I think there's going to be movement on that. And the attorneys were all sort of in a kumbaya moment, which was just like, you're like sitting there going, why is this happening now? And it didn't happen for 13 years. But they were all saying, um, Jamie's attorney, Jody Montgomery's attorney, and Matthew Rosengart, you know, we all need to work together as a team to help Brittany. And so I think there's going to be discussions. In fact, one of the things that Jamie Spears' attorney said was, you know, let's talk together and maybe we can make some concessions here. She wasn't saying that that Jamie was going to step back. She was saying, I'm going to be able to give him the full picture and then he'll see really the truth here, not just Brittany's side. Once again, sort of made me roll my eyes, but maybe movement can be made, you know, off the record. Who knows if Jamie will step down. If not, they're going to have, you know, it's going to be a fight. I mean, they'll have to go into court and, you know, petition for it and then make the arguments to the judge. And a lot of that, I think, will be, you know, having to try and show evidence of these different abuses that um, Brittany's alleged, like you said, the financial, if, there, if there's financial and, and some of these other things that were extreme, perhaps, and too restrictive. So I, I think the strategy that Brittany's taken, which I think is very smart, is one, first, get your own attorney who's going to be your bulldog in court. Two, get Jamie removed, because if you can get Jamie off, then the third thing, terminating the conservatorship or at least narrowing it down as much as possible will be much easier, but most likely you'll get another conservator take Jamie's place who will be more objective, not have this prior hostility going on, who will be able to say, oh, okay, let's make some concessions here. Might not even object to it. Might just say, yeah, we don't need a battle. We don't need a trial here. Let's just sit down and work this out and we'll go into court and have the judge agree to it. So um, I think that's the strategy that's going to be taken. Well, if it's truly in her interests. I'm going to be watching very closely to see what he does next, because if it's truly in his daughter's interest, he'll do the right thing. If it's not, then he's going to fight tooth and nail and he's going to hang on because there's so much financial uh, gain at stake for him. But I would love to get those forensic accountants in and to see where the money's been going. And of course, the New York Times produced documentary Framing Britney Spears was also nominated for a Primetime Emmy Award on July the 13th. And I think all of these things really do help spotlight what's been going on. So I really appreciate your time, Lonnie. I know you've had a really long day from New York and I really wanted to speak with you. So I just want to thank you for your time. And I know you've got to jump off and record elsewhere. So unless there's anything else you want to share that we haven't discussed. I think we got through it all, but I always enjoy talking to you about this. I think it's so important to really understand that control, the coercive control aspect of this, um, to see it from that viewpoint, because I think it's very illuminating to understand Brittany's point of view in this. Absolutely. And it's the number one tactic of a coercive controller is to gaslight and make someone look to be crazy, to take their autonomy, to make them feel crazy, make them look crazy, and therefore you will never believe what it is that they're saying. And I think that strategy has been clear to me when you look across the 13 years. And for Brittany, there's probably still parts of her that feels that she is crazy. And she did say she wasn't a perfect person. None of us are. She acknowledges that there are things about her that aren't perfect, but she's just human. And she was under a huge amount of pressure. And 
I really hope they go back to the very beginning of this because I do think she had postpartum depression. I think she had trauma and I think she was perfectly treatable. And instead, for 13 years, she's been living this horrific, it's like a prison, but without any walls. And to have Bill Cosby be released and set free and for him to have his own lawyers and everybody advocating for him, giving him the microphone and to have Britley conversely just have everyone silence her. You know, I've just, I've really struggled to reconcile that, Lonnie. And, you know, I'm glad to be able to talk with you. And I know a lot of my listeners have felt equally conflicted that so much has been going on in the last few weeks. So I'm really pleased that we got a chance to talk. I suspect we'll be talking again. I hope so, because I always enjoy talking with you too. So I'm going to wrap up and thank you very much. And I hope my listeners will interact with us on social media and drop us your questions or your thoughts. So for now, this is Crime Analyst signing out. Remember to be curious, ask questions, and always trust your instincts. And here's my final two cents before the episode wraps. The first is a huge thank you to all of you, my lovely listeners and crime analysts, for tuning in every week. The second is an ask. If you like what I do, please take two minutes to leave a five-star review on whichever platform you listen to me on. It really helps others find me and helps with the ratings. So thank you, thank you. Crime Analyst is written, produced and hosted by me, Laura Richards. Sound engineering by Tim Hansen at Half Ogre Studios. Cover art and graphics by Chris Raybottom at Syndicate. And music by Kilrood. 